Hey coconuts, welcome back to our weekly market updates. This week, we talk about cryptocurrency and a meme stock called Shiba Inu that has increased 500%. Square has expanded into cryptocurrency trading. The SEC has allowed Bitcoin futures ETFs. And Apple just released a brand new chip. How would that impact the impending semiconductor issues? All this and more on tonight's update. TFC's weekly market update scours the net to find worthy financial news to be further discussed and expanded. It is a banter session with facts, figures, and fun to help you get caught up in the world of investing. So join in the banter live with me, Rakesh, your host, weekly Tuesdays at 8pm on our YouTube, Facebook, and Twitch. Hey, Coconuts. Welcome back to our Tuesday's market update with, with me, Rakesh. Of course, we have Joel and Anthony. Good to have you back, guys. Hey, guys. Hey. Good to be here. All right. Um, you know, to kick things off, uh, as usual, I do my spiel. So if you haven't followed us on, on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Twitch, please go ahead and do that. YouTube as well. If you haven't subscribed to our newsletter, please do so. And uh, go ahead and, you know, send us any emails and join our Telegram group over at The Financial Coconut. So awesome, right? This week, we have a lot to talk about. We have to kick things off, right? Uh, cryptocurrency, a little bit on um, bit ETFs, Bitcoin ETFs, I believe. So Joel will be taking us through that. Uh, we're going to bring up a little bit of, of Disney. Right? We heard that Disney dropped a little bit, so we're going to bring that up. Um, Apple had an event yesterday, was it? Early this morning, if you're, <laughs> if you're in Singapore. Going to talk about that as well as the stock price. Awesome, guys. All right, I think let's start off with something fun. Um, Shiba Inu, yeah. I believe the price increased by 500%. Yes. Uh, Joel, <laughs> tell us a bit more. Okay, so uh, first off, disclaimer, I, I'm not uh, into hype or meme coins, but I thought that this would be an interesting topic to talk about. So uh, just recently, I think sometime over the last week, Elon Musk, aka you know the king of crypto influencers, he simply posted a picture of his Shiba Inu dot on his Twitter account, and that sent the price of Shiba Inu coin to skyrocket 500% over the next few days. So, I mean, in the crypto space, especially with these altcoins, 5x or 10x, it's not, you know, it's just a normal, another day for crypto speculators. And also the point of this is not to make you guys FOMO, right? Fear of missing out. And it's always easy to say, I should have bought into this coin because hindsight is 2020. I just want to see, you know, if there is a potential, uh, still a potential growth opportunity for this coin. And I'll just lay out some, of, some pointers uh, for you guys to take note. So before I start off, I would just like to give a very short introduction of what exactly is Shiba Inu, you know, for those who don't know what Shiba Inu is. So Shiba Inu is an Ethereum-based cryptocurrency that has 714,000 holders since its launch in uh, August 2020. So it's about a year, a year-ish. Yeah. And it's a meme of a meme. So it was inspired by Dogecoin and it has gained an insane 27 million percent return year to date. Right. To give you some context, right? if you invested $100 on Shiba Inu coin late last year, your investment would have grown to over $1.6 million today. Oh, the FOMO coming already. Oh, FOMO, FOMO. <laughs> yeah, so calm down. Huh? Jesus. Uh, Shiba Inu is currently the 20th largest crypto with a $10 billion market cap. So you think about it, it's pretty damn amazing for a meme coin, right? I mean, it started from a meme and it's the 20th largest crypto already. And now I'd just like to bring on the bull and the bear cases for the coin. So investors or speculators who are long this coin, 
you know, uh, there are many reasons why they buy this coin, but I'll just discuss the three main pointers. So number one is Shiba Inu is to be listed on major exchanges. So I think many crypto traders, they trade on major exchanges like uh, Robinhood, Coinbase. So as of today, I think Coinbase recently accepted Shiba Inu as one of the accepted coins. Mm -hmm. And I think there is a petition to Robinhood to also add Shiba Inu. So by adding you know, Shiba Inu to these major exchanges, there will be a massive increase in holders. They are leading to more um, demand. There's more higher volume and thus you know, higher price in future, hopefully. All right, that's the first point. The second one is the ability to actually stick your coins on your, or earn interest on your tokens. So the developers actually created a platform which allows you to put whatever tokens you have and then you basically can earn interest on your tokens. So use the tokens to earn more tokens. And the last one is Shiba's very low entry price. So I think it's like 0. 0.00000 something something. So it's very cheap for an average Joe to get in. Okay, so these are the bull cases. Now, very quickly, I go into the bear cases. There are quite a lot, but I also named three of them. <laughs> so, <laughs> number one, number I one, we'll add more. <laughs> is basically uh, whales are dominating the market. So, top 100 Shiba holders own 82% of the total supply. Or 82%. Uh, and it just takes one or two of them to shake the whole market and to send the price crashing. And most dumping actually occurs near the end of peaks as retail investors FOMO in and buy in. So one thing we should never FOMO. La. So that's the first one. The second <laughs> con is a lack of interest. So this coin price, similar to any other meme coin or hype stock, is very much dependent on the amount of traction it has or the amount of attention it has on it. And there was a good five months that this coin was trading pretty stagnant. You know, it was not until Elon Musk posted his picture of his dog, which sent the, the, the price skyrocketing. So this is another problem that, you know, we have to think about. And the last one is copycats and future ICOs. So many other developers also see that, wow, you know, if Shiba Inu can make a meme of a meme and they can send this, the price, you know, so high, why can't I? So they also want to develop their own coin. They also want to do their own ICOs, trying to outbeat Shiba Inu. Uh, for me, okay. Uh, the problem with meme coins like this is that they are very much hype-based and based a lot on FOMO. And personally, I'm only vested in the major coins, you know, like Bitcoin, Ethereum, and so on. And I have no vested interest in Shiba. So my question to you guys and also to the listeners is, um, what are your thoughts on these kind of things? Right? And, pers- and to you, Anthony and Rakesh, I would say that you guys are above average in terms of investing knowledge, right? Definitely more than a retail investor. So if you right, have a reason to believe that the price of this coin or any other meme stock might increase 2x or 5x in the near future, would you allocate a small percentage of a portfolio to this? Why and why not? Uh, okay, I, I think there's... Uh, look, meme coins are fun, right? Um, I, I bought a GameStop and AMC, so never bought Dodge, never bought Shit, but oh, I nice. took part in, in the GameStop <laughs> and, and AMC thing. And, and lost money because um, of FOMO, but yeah, um, look, I think everything has their own... Everyone has their own tolerance. Everyone has their own strategy. Yeah. Um, for me, to, this is gambling, essentially. I get 20%, 50%, I'm out, right? Um, whether it's up or down, I'm, I'm out. So... Even if I had put $100 in, I'll never have enough conviction to hold for that 160 minutes. 
um, or 200, 200 time return, right? Mm. I, I just don't believe in it enough, right? So I make money, that's great, I'm out. I lose money, okay, I have a stop loss, I'm out, and, mm. and I'm not going back in. So I think it's a very personal choice. Um, if, if you want to gamble, go ahead. Um, and, and although I would also say that, you know, especially if people who are, especially if people get bigger and bigger portfolios, putting 1% or 2% of your portfolio into something like this could be something that's thousands or yeah, thousands of dollars mm. at least, right? And, and in real world terms, that can buy you quite a bit of stuff. So, you know, it, yes, it's 1% of portfolio, small enough to risk it. You probably will miss it if you lose it all, but there is real value to having money, you know, and, and being able to do other things with it as well. And, and if you think about it, if it 2Xs, and this was the lesson I learned, you know, even if it 3Xs from 1,000 to 3,000, your life isn't going to change, mm. you know. So if you don't have enough conviction to hold for the long term and, and make that $1,000 become a million, and if you don't have, and you have enough money to, well, not make that extra $1,000 feel like it's worth anything, then, then why bother? Right, it's just fun. You go to you go. You might as well go to a casino, pay that hundred dollars, throw five hundred dollars on black on the roulette wheel, and, and hope for the best. Yeah, <laughs> you know? very it, nice. It's the same activity to me. But then nice. again, I'm a Uh-oh. boomer, so. <laughs> <laughs> I think you know, on, on on my side, it's it's a little bit more than gambling. I think gambling, you know, the odds. Um, with this, you don't. Honestly, I think there are too many variables for you to calculate any of the odds. Um, but I, what I will say is if you're the sort of person that goes by Toto, goes by, um, you know, anything that you can find, you know, bet three, six, five, whatever there is sports bet, um, then putting a certain amount of money into this kind of makes sense because what it's effectively play money, right? You, you're willing to lose it. Mm-hmm. So if you're taking that risk and you're willing to lose that money, I say, this is probably a decent angle because you never know when it's going to come up. That said, I'm not that sort. Right. <laughs> right. Um, and I, I don't invest in meme stocks. I, I actually don't haven't invested in crypto ever. Mm. Uh, I'm still trying to understand it. and I need to understand in order for me to, to invest. Yep. I right. guess in that sense, I'm quite I'm quite a boomer. Oh, I guess in that sense, I'm quite conservative. Mm. Right. Um, but I think one thing I just want to to debunk with with um, you know, all of us here, as well as cryptocurrency and what it's done for us, especially meme coins. Is that my my parents and my grandparents say you work hard for the money, but guess what? <laughs> One year ago, when we were all at home in COVID, if you had put a hundred bucks in there, <laughs> you don't need to work very hard for your money, do you? <laughs> You're literally sitting at home earning a million bucks. <laughs> and also, maybe one uh, other thing that I like to add is that uh, it changes your psychology a lot. You know, when you invest in things like that. So. Um, Personally, I know a lot, a few people who actually only do meme stocks or hype stocks, right? And the moment they feel that, oh, I can get 30% in one day, 50% the next day, why do I want to invest in normal stocks that gives me 10, 20% a year, mm-hmm. right? It changes their whole psychology of investing. And they think that, you know, putting money in these kind of things, it's investing, but essentially it's gambling. Like my own personal feeling now. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't really agree. I, I think, you know, volatility is good, right? You, and volatility isn't necessarily risk. Um, it can go up 30%, it can go down 30%. Mm-hmm. And you, you need that volatility to make the money in, in the long run. That's so, true, yeah. you know, I, I think knowing that there's volatility is fine. It's, it's just opening your eyes and, and being aware that you have a plan, you know what, uh, to me at least, is mm-hmm. you know what you want to do with it. And, you know, you, you execute that plan, right? Um, and if it fails, it fails. If it 
great. That's great. After a while, we can go to Japan and make a more stable li- living. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. No, but I think it's great, great for for bringing it up, Joel. Thanks for that. All right. Um. Next topic. Shall we stay on crypto? Let, let, let's just make this a crypto show. <laughs> 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 we, we don't need to talk let's, about natural gas. Natural gas is boring. <laughs> no, let's let's yeah, let's let's keep on on, on crypto. Uh, I believe there is a square in Bitcoin. Is that Joel? Is that you that wanted to enlighten us a bit about this? Uh, ah, that that was me actually. Yeah. Oh, was it Anthony? Um, Anthony, Anthony yeah, my yeah, apologies. Um, I mean, we we have lots to talk about on on Bitcoin. I think two well. Two two semi major pieces of news over the past week. Um, the first was the the announcement of the SEC that it might allow a Bitcoin futures ETF, mm. right? And and the second is and and more personally a bit more interesting to me because I like shares rather than crypto. Is the Square announcing that they might look into um, creating a, a Bitcoin miner, right? And and you know for for the purposes of decentralization and making it more accessible because. You, you nowadays to mine Bitcoin, you essentially need a, a data center and a you know very and, be, and a very cheap power source that that rules out eighty percent of the population, so ninety nine percent of the population actually. So you know, is there real decentralization? That that's that uh, an ongoing discussion, right? Um. So yeah, may, maybe the the square news first, and then we can talk about the the ETF later. Um. Yeah, I mean, to to me. Oh, and and personally, I I think Jack Dorsey is amazing. He has three ro- jobs now, right? He's CEO of um, <laughs> Square, he's CEO of Twitter, and and he is you know there shilling Bitcoin on on Twitter every other day. So you know, amazing <laughs> what he does um, with, with his time. I, I wish I was as productive at work. <laughs> um, but you know, um, I mean, look what what Square, right? Square started off as. Uh, Payments company for merchants. They they essentially provided merchants with a dongle to process online payments easily rather at point of sale. Then after that, they moved into Cash App, which was more um, consumer focused and and allowed you to transfer money easily. And so so they are really a payments company. They have built up their ecosystem last uh, a few months weeks back. They, they they bought Afterpay, which is a buy now pay later, and you know that that kind of completed the ecosystem. And and throughout the, this this entire journey um, for of the company, which has led to like a ten times in, in share price over years, uh, a few years, right? What what Jack has as a sideline is oh maybe I should make Bitcoin popular. <laughs> so uh, a few months back, he had he he released news. Well, Cash App you can buy Bitcoin essentially. He released news that Square would do a hardware wallet for Bitcoin and, and make it accessible. So no, uh, and and to me. Uh, as a, a somewhat believer in, in crypto or, or at least the technology, I think it's fantastic. It, it's kind of pointing towards a direction of how crypto can align with traditional finance, right? And and align with consumer products. So you know, this is I, I don't really know how this last step works um, in in that general direction because it, it's a miner. Not everybody wants to be a miner. Not everybody wants to be a Bitcoin miner. But you know, to, to me, this is again another signal that. You know, there there might be a convergence between between at least traditional retail finance and and crypto, mm. and you know being at one being one of the companies at the forefront of that, you know, who with a relatively visionary and busy CEO is is the, is the good thing. Mm. So bullish on Square. <laughs> All right, insane. Huh? CEO of Twitter and CEO of Square. 
wow, the amount of work this guy has is, is insane. Wow. <laughs> oh, he, he's a hipster Elon Musk. <laughs> hipster Elon one of the questions for you, I mean, Square is, is a payments company, right? Yeah. Um, but am I right to say they also host websites and stuff like that? They, they have tried expanding into it, I think. So, you know, they, they started off mm. with, at, at the merchant side with payment. payments. Then they started yeah. selling merchant solutions, essentially. So you can do, I think, some accounting with Square. They, they help you organize payroll. It, it's land and expand, right? You, you, get a toll, yeah. you get a toll hole and, and you start pushing out your various other products, which, you know. I guess it's the ideal for, for all tech companies now. Got it, got it. No, that's cool. And and I think um, Square did mention, well, you mentioned earlier that Square is looking at cryptocurrency, not only mining, but also purchasing Bitcoin, right? Yeah, you, you can actually hold Bitcoin in your cash app in the US. Mm-hmm. And if you look at Square's balance sheet, you know, a bulk of their revenue is Bitcoin. Uh, a bulk of their mm. cost is also Bitcoin. Essentially, they, they take like a 2% cut of all Bitcoin transactions. Oh, wow. And it's risk-free, right? Because they don't hold a Bitcoin themselves. It's just exactly. you know, facilitating and it's mm. fantastic margins for, for not doing very much. Actually, I think that's, that's, that's great, right? Because if you look at it um, in a couple of weeks ago, or I think it was two months ago, PayPal mentioned they were also moving into crypto, um, opening up Bitcoin and Ethereum and, and I think a few others. So I think Square moving into, into Bitcoin, that's great. I think now they're going one step further in terms of creating sort of a mining system. Um, I think they would want to own that sort of ecosystem and maybe get some sort of cut around there because they notice the volume is really, really high. So I think it is formal on their, on their side because they're like, you know what? People are moving from, from this to there. It's still money. Either way, we are a payments app. We can facilitate both. We already have the infrastructure. I think it's a good move on, on their side. And this guy is, is bloody productive. So yeah, bullish man. on him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so there are a lot of companies who actually buy a lot of Bitcoin, like uh, Square, for example, Tesla. So they hoard a lot of Bitcoin. So um, do they buy it and then and list it under assets? So when the price of Bitcoin is, let's say, rallies 20%, that means their assets, if they convert everything to Bitcoin, it also increases 20%. So essentially, oh. will the share price increase as their Bitcoin holdings increase? Yeah, I, I think there, there's multiple nuances on this. So mm. uh, the, the big one is micro strategy, right? Um, they are essentially a, now a Bitcoin holding company with uh, a software sales uh, on, as a cherry on top. Mm. Um, what, what they do is, is they hold Bitcoin as assets themselves. Um, they call it their treasury uh, as cash equivalent, mm. but essentially mm. they, they own it. So their, their book value goes up and down depending on, on the, the price, price of Bitcoin. Uh. Um, mm. Yeah, um, what Square does is, is slightly different. So if you look at their financials, it's actually on their income statement, right? It, mm. it revenues. So so the amount of Bitcoin that they pass to the 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 end user is considered revenues, and the amount that they have spent on buying the Bitcoin is, is cost of goods sold, essentially. So so they don't own the Bitcoin on their balance okay. sheet. It, it's all held with the um, end user. All uh. they do is you know, so, so they have, I think, billions in, in Bitcoin revenue, but it's, it's all just passing it on, right? It's, it's, it's nothing. It, you, you need to take it out when you look at their revenues because it just twists the, the whole thing. Um, and sorry, I, I only know this because I actually looked at it and I was like, wow, they make a lot of money from Bitcoin. Yeah, like, that's very spend, interesting. <laughs> they, they spend a lot of things. So, you know, it, it's just something that they, they take a cut off and then move on. It's not a directional bet on holding it as an asset, at least for, for the yeah. company itself. And the money that they get obviously is, is US dollars, right? Um, yeah. And it's not it's not actual Bitcoin or anything. Yeah, yeah. 
Awesome, that's interesting. That's uh, why don't you? Why don't we, we we discuss a little bit about the Bitcoin uh, US US ETF? Ah, yes. Sure. Uh, maybe I can share a bit. <laughs> Yo, uh, uh, yeah, you 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 can take this. <laughs> I think I talked enough about Bitcoin for today. Okay, so. Um, Bitcoin ETF. I mean, for those of you who are holding Bitcoin or invested in Bitcoin, would have known that a Bitcoin price have actually rallied over the sixty thousand mark. I think it's now at sixty-two thousand already. Very, very close to its all-time high. And one of the major reasons is because the SEC, the US SEC, is set to allow the very first American Bitcoin futures ETF to begin trading this week. And this opens a new path for investors to gain exposure to crypto. All right. And also, uh, if I'm not wrong, today, nineteenth of October. ProShares is actually launching the very first Bitcoin futures already under the ticker BITO, BITO. Right, so it's very interesting to see how this will play out. So before I go deeper, also, uh, I'd like to also deep dive and explain what exactly is a Bitcoin ETF for those who don't understand what's a Bitcoin ETF. So ETFs, as you guys know, as, as you guys know it allows investors to diversify their investments without actually owning the asset themselves. So let's say for this Bitcoin ETF, it mimics the price of Bitcoin without actually going through the complicated process of trading Bitcoin. And also, if you buy this ETF, right, you will not have to worry about the storage and the security procedure required of crypto investors. So currently, the process of owning Bitcoin right, is you have to open an account with a brokerage, let's say like Gemini or Coinbase or uh, Binance.sg. You got to deposit the money in, you buy the asset, and then transfer the asset out to a hot or cold wallet, you know, just in case we want security. With a Bitcoin ETF, you can just buy the ETF and then you don't have to worry about the other steps. It's fairly straightforward. So the other question is, why not just buy Bitcoin, you know? And why is this Bitcoin ETF so valuable? Why are a lot of fund managers actually applying to, you know, get, uh, get their own US uh, Bitcoin ETF? So I also like to name it down to three reasons. So the first one, it's, it's easy and convenient for investors. So like I mentioned just now, you know, investors don't have to bother with the security procedures uh, with holding Bitcoin. They can just buy the ETF itself. The second reason is there are more trading options. So ETF being an investment vehicle, right, it allows uh, investors to short the ETF if they think that the price is going to dump. Right? This cannot be done in the current traditional crypto market. And currently, if you want to short crypto, you have to go through other means like opening a margin account or trade uh, crypto derivatives. Right? It's also a step. Uh, extra step if you want to short crypto. And the last one is accessibility to the masses. So I also feel that uh, in general, ETFs are much better understood across the investment world uh, rather than cryptocurrencies. So an investor looking to get involved into crypto could just focus on trading a vehicle they're already used to, like an ETF, instead of having to learn the ins and outs of how to trade crypto in the whole world itself. So whoever holds, you know, whoever has the first Bitcoin ETF will have the first mover advantage and we're able to capture majority of the market share with virtually no competition. I think this is one of the reasons why you know, so many fund managers are actually applying to have a Bitcoin ETF. So I think it's, like, it's going to be a very interesting ride from now on. I mean, now the first Bitcoin ETF is out, right? And we can only see, does it really work? We know, will the price of Bitcoin keep rising to the 100,000 mark like many people, people uh, predicted? Or will it you know, be a short-term pump before dump? You guys get any thoughts on this? Ah. Okay, sure. Um, I think one, one, no, sorry, this, this is just me being nitpicky, but one thing that this is, is, is a Bitcoin futures ETF. Uh, right? yes. So, so it, it's a derivative of Bitcoin. The, the ETF doesn't own Bitcoin. Mm. They just buy futures of what the price of Bitcoin could be. So it's, it's essentially betting on price action. Mm. Um, you, they, they never own the ETF and therefore you as 
oh, a part owner of the fund never owns any Bitcoin, right? Mm. Um, and you know, I, I mean, look, I four years ago, I think this was fantastic. Now, there's Coinbase. If if we are willing to be on a centralized exchange, it's it's not difficult to, to own Bitcoin anymore. Mm. Um, it, it's difficult to own a lot of altcoins. Yes. Um. UI UX are, are terrible for, for crypto exchanges, yes, but you know, um, IBKR isn't that much easier to use um, to, to buy. A, so, I mean, I, I'm not really sold by the accessibility argument. Mm. I think that this maybe came a bit too late in the day. What I think it will be, it will be useful for is you know, funds where they, they want to have some crypto exposure, but because of their mandate, they cannot buy mm. Um, mm. crypto directly, right? This ETF gives them a way around it. So, so to me, this might be something that's more geared toward oh, yes, the institutions yeah. and then the professional investors than actually, you know, um, individuals like you and I, because honestly, you, you just, just use Gemini. This thing pass enable, you, you get this set up in five minutes. Yeah. Right? There, there's, there's no issue. Um, there, it's a lot faster than actually going to, to buy a, a futures ETF. Mm. So, I mean, I, I, I'm not sold by accessibility. I, I don't know how... All demand is great, right? Um, if you are a holder of Bitcoin, which I am not. <laughs> yeah, so um, I, 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 um, I think I, I see a different view, right? I disagree to a certain extent. I think I understand where you're coming from, Anthony, right, with accessibility, but the fund managers hold a lot of AUM, Right. And right now, they can push these retail investors or the older investors to move to cryptocurrency through means of FOMO, through means of anything. They may not, I mean, I hope they're informing them that it's futures. So volatility is really, really high, or at least, at least volatility will go up and down like crazy. Mm-hmm. But it's an aspect that they can now tap into when previously they couldn't. Because previously, they would tell, hey, Mr. A, can you set up your own Gemini account? And then you go ahead and do that. And he's going, I've got other things to do in my life. You handle my money. So I think this creates accessibility for the fund managers to then move towards the crypto space. Yeah, that definitely. Yeah. But I, I'm just not sure that, that how big the impact will be. To be this, uh, this is this is a bit late in the mm. game. If it was an True. if it was an ETF that's like grayscale and maybe they own the, the top fifteen coins, right? Something that tracks the top fifteen, you know, um, bit, the top fifteen cryptocurrencies, just like S and P tracks top five hundred. Fantastic. Yeah. Love it. I, I would I would I would be beating the door <laughs> to buy it. Right. But not 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 something for, for Bitcoin where it's a it's really a lot. It's really quite easy to access now. Mm. Yeah. Question, right? The SEC, have they legitimized Bitcoin as a, a fund or as a investment vehicle before this? Do we know? Uh, I'm not actually quite sure. No, they they hadn't. So I, I think there are Canadian um, Bitcoin ETFs already in, in play, right? But mm, uh, the SEC okay. never got comfortable enough to um, approve any ETFs. And and I think I, I seem to recall reading somewhere that they actually don't want to approve a Bitcoin Bitcoin ETF. The, the, the only reason why they are happy to approve a futures ETF is because all futures are traded through, through I think, CMOE, the, the Chicago Merchandise. Merchandise exchange, and and that mm. is a, a jurisdiction that SEC has um, jurisdiction over. So mm. so you know because they have control, they have right. regulatory control, they have oversight. They they are happy to let the futures ETF um take place, but you know they they 
don't have control over the actual trading of Bitcoin or any of the exchanges because they are not really regulated. So they're just going, nope, no, no actual Bitcoin ETF, where the ETF owns the Bitcoin at this stage. So let's, uh, maybe one more question, right? For this Bitcoin futures ETF, so basically, let's say ProShares, they launched this, this first ETF. So they don't actually own any Bitcoin when they launch the futures yeah. ETF, right? And they, then, they own Bitcoin futures. Oh, okay. So they own Bitcoin futures and they are the ones that, yeah. uh, okay. So that's what pushes the price of Bitcoin. Let's say if a lot of people buys the ETF, they'll push the price of Bitcoin up, am I right? Because yeah. someone has to own the Bitcoin. Yeah, so I think, and, and I haven't actually thought this all the way through because I wasn't very interested. My, my <laughs> gut feeling is that the ETF will buy Bitcoin futures. So for And the future is essentially a derivative contract, mm -hmm. right? So... Yep. You, it's just a bet on it being a certain price at, at a future point in time. So they'll buy the Bitcoin future. Um, somebody somewhere, I think that there will probably be a market maker underneath um, where we'll have to hedge that liability okay. um, of the futures contract. Um, and, and that person will have to buy and sell Bitcoins to, to kind of manage their exposure. So that's probably where the, the demand for um, Bitcoins will come in. Mm. It, it's, it's not really at, at the ETF stage. It, it's a bit further um, behind the curtain where they try to um, try, try to make sure that they, they don't have any real exposure and just make that you know 1% cut of, of transaction. Mm, mm. But yeah, there's some, yeah. something to think about. I, that I don't know how Bitcoin futures actually work, um, unlike actual commodities. It's, it's, it's good to note that actually that, you know, just because the future is being that somebody has to hedge because somebody's going to have to own that. Yeah. Um, otherwise, it's too much, too much speculation, too much volatility. Um, and I do, I mean, I need to read further as, as well. So I think good news here, Joel. Uh, but yeah, let's look into how SEC is actually trying to operate through all yeah. of this. So, and, and agree with that. Awesome. All right. A um, couple more that we want to talk about. So away from crypto towards the actual stock market now. <laughs> uh, a, bit, a bit more into our space um, or the, my, my space, I guess. So first things. First things first, right? Um, Apple, I'm a big fan of Apple. They just launched their new um, MacBook Pros yesterday. And I think one of the big news that popped up was the fact that they have a brand new chip. So since last year, they were looking at designing their own chips. Uh, they call it the M1. And now they've come up with two new ones. So effectively creating three new chips and they designed it all by themselves. And what they do is they have a third party company. Uh, I think right now it's called Taiwan Semiconductors. Uh, to create it for them, uh, fabricate it for them, and then they put that in the MacBook Pros. I believe it did a grin because we saw M1 and M1, well, the three. <laughs> it's going across almost all Mac devices. So that includes the iPhone, that includes uh, the Macs, the iPads, um, I believe even the watches, right? So one thing to note here is that, number one, we didn't really see a big increase in price for Apple from pre-event to post-event, right? We saw a little bit of a hike pre-event, mainly because of speculation, but it was actually quite well rumored, if you will. I knew this was going to come out, uh, that they were going to launch this MacBook Pro. So whether it was priced in before, that's, a, that's, that's one question. But number two is we've had a semiconductor shortage and we did bring about this, or we did talk about this last week, right? I think we brought up the, the EV with, with Tesla and all of that. And it, we expect it to go into 2022. Now, how would this impact Apple? And given the fact that they have just launched these brand new three chips, 
do you see other companies prioritizing the other semiconductors which give them or the other chips which give them maybe a bit more revenue than than what Apple is giving therefore slowing down the production of MacBook Pros or or Apple um you know Apple uh devices or do we think you know what Apple's probably going to pay top dollar for it they're going to get the priority out of it and they need a plant to do that very quickly now it's a brand new design it's their own design but other people still got to learn it and fabricate it right what what do we think here in order to to look at at cost of uh, at cost of sales as well as total sales wow oh, that that's that's difficult i think <laughs> <laughs> Look, that's why I keep quiet uh, <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, I, we, we're just talking about things I don't like today because I, I I have an Apple device which is my work phone and, and I try not to touch it so um, that, that's my, my extent of the Apple ecosystem um, but yeah we, I, I like talking about semiconductors so you know I, I look that I mean and, and even before this news right it was last week or two weeks back that you know, Apple share price took a hit because they said we'll produce less iPhones iPhone 13 year um, because mm. of a chip shortage yes. and therefore I'm not going to sell as much my revenue isn't going to be as great and you know, that's, that's that right? and then the share price fell um, and well I think that, that that encapsulates the issue right because all of these companies are you know, whether it's Apple the, the car manufacturers they, they are really relying on the fabs um, to create the chips for them and that's what two or three of them that they are actually good at it, especially at the very cutting edge. And I think like TSMC has like 50% increase in profit margins over the past year in, in their latest financials. Mm-hmm. So they are, they are skimming the fat off, you know, and, and Apple in the rock and a hard place, right? They, if they pay more for the chips, that's great, but their profit margin suffers, right? And so they can sell more, but mm-hmm. they, they have a lower profit margin erodes their exclusivity and, and things like that. But alternatively, you know, they, they could not sell as much, but then overall profit suffers because they don't have enough sales. The one, one thing that they maybe <laughs> haven't tried, I don't know, is just to increase the price and pass all costs onto the consumer, right? And, and try to leverage on that, that fanboy, you know, type of hype. <laughs> like rock, huh? <laughs> um, but I, I, I don't know how how effective and, and that that to me sounds like a really effective strategy, but I, I don't know how they are actually playing it out. Um, because that that leads to you know future problems with pricing and and like if, if you sell a phone for two thousand USD now, your next generation can be cheaper. So so there there are yeah. flow on effects from that that as well. I think. Um, so yeah, and they they are in a bit of a tough position to be in. But you know, they, they know their operations, they are good at their operations, and they have good processes. So you know, I, I think this is what they mean when you buy the business, right? Mm-hmm. You, you know that even if there are difficulties like this, that there's maybe an optimal way out and, and, manage, and you can kind of trust management to, to bring the company out of it. Yeah, probably just a fun question. Not so much on the stock itself, but I'm just curious. Uh, do both of you own iPhones? Yes, I I have an iPhone twelve, like, but it, it's my work phone. I don't use it except for Outlook. <laughs> <laughs> so actually, Anthony, you know, very interesting. Going back to the point, let's say Apple, you know, really do does you know bring all the cost to the consumer, right? Do you the consumers? Because you guys have iPhones, do you have a, like a maximum price limit in your head already? That let's say if they sell it above the Sunday's price, you won't buy anymore. Because I know there are certain people that no matter what price Apple throws at them, they will just buy it because it's Apple. 
right? But majority of consumers, they are realistic. You know, they, if it's prices too expensive, they will go to another alternative. So do you have like a, a, a cap limit on how much you'll pay for a phone? Yeah, right. I think this is, this is for you, Rag. Um, I, I would say $400. So that, that's never getting me an iPhone. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, so I'll go up to a grand for a phone, not two grand. All right, yeah, so is it thousand plus is okay. So is it really possible to actually pass the cost to consumers if they keep increasing? And you know, if they release one generation, it's two thousand. Like you know, Anthony, like you said, they cannot price it lower than that for the next one. It just got to keep getting more expensive, more expensive, more expensive. All right, there has to be a limit where everyone just says, hey, "Why am I? I'm not going to pay three thousand dollars for this phone anymore." So yeah, I don't think they're going to raise their price. Um, mainly because they, they, that's not the sort of company that they, they are. They, o- they always give a new product with the same price and drop the rest. If, if there is an increase of, of price, like we saw with the iPhone Pro Max, or I think whatever it is, the, the, now the high, I think almost $2,000, mm-hmm. there is a significant difference, right? So for example, if you compare a $1,000 phone to a $2,000 phone, what's the difference? Right, an extra camera, this or that, bigger screen, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And even for me, that was that's a lot of money, right? That's mm-hmm. almost that's 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 a MacBook. That yeah, I that's buy. insane, yeah. yeah. Right, um, and I, I rather yeah, get a cheaper phone. But you, I think that's that's really where where they're coming at. They're not going to just raise the prices because of supply issues. Mm-hmm. At least I don't believe that's how Apple operates. It, right down to its core. They have a, a billion cash reserves. I think it was like, I don't know how many billions, billions of, <laughs> of cash reserve um, that, they're, that they're willing to, that they have, that they can use this as a short-term gap. But I feel that they're not going to raise the price. So the question here is to just slow down supply and just slow down the, uh, the uptake of their new MacBook Pro since they were talking about this new M1 chip being a two-year transition and therefore take a small hit in terms of of costing or in terms of, of revenue or they lose some balance sheet, pay that money off to, you know, they, they were talking about move from TSMC to Samsung, right? And, and do that. Or have they managed by designing this M1 chip to increase profit margin, therefore allowing uh, to pay the fabricator a little bit more to prioritize the us. So I guess those are, those are questions for me that I have. Um, I don't believe it's going to be passed on the end user because they are hitting their limit already. That's it. I do agree with you that Apple obviously has a cult following. People will buy because it's Apple and because it's a new product. Um, but that's, that's they are early adopters, right? As we know in, in the graph, the main peak happens with the rational people that are switching between an Android and, a, and an iPhone. Yeah, so I think that's my thinking. I think in terms of stock price for Apple, I think it will hover roughly about the same. I think Q4 will be very much on nerve to see <laughs> how, how it's been doing, whether it be slowing down, whether it's been going up or whether it's staying stable. But one, one thing for me, which saw the decline in the price for the iPhone three, uh, iPhone 13, because they were looking to reduce supply or say it's slowing down is because Apple's revenue, 52% of it or something like that is from its iPhones. So I think it won't affect the MacBook much, but it will affect the iPhones. So I think they should really be prioritizing on that or looking at other ways to diversify to reduce the, what, what the iPhone has over Apple. You take away the iPhone, now Apple is gone. So I think for me, that's, that's the worry. That's the worry the next five years. Oh, interesting. Thanks yeah. for sharing. Yeah. 
yeah, how, how, how do you actually make a phone better? I, 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 I always <laughs> feel like every time I change phones, I, I'm just getting something slightly faster with a slightly better camera and that's it. But then again, I, I don't use it much. So, <laughs> I mean, that's uh, the, yes, right? So, Right now, they, they, I, I believe they're just focusing with the camera. It's, it's, you're buying a camera which got a, which got a phone function on it. I, I mean, can't see the iPhone any other way. And it's a lot on yeah. marketing. Like, most of it is on marketing. Like, this is going to be the best, you know, hype and everything. And they're going to reason, mm. they're reasoning the designs from before. So before they're using right. the, what, the sharp square edges, then they go into the round edges, and then they go back to the square edges. And it just seems yeah. new because, I mean, they just released it. So to consumers, like, wow, I must have it. <laughs> Yes, it's a little bit of that, of that cult following. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I mean, I think, you know, one thing to note, though, they did revolutionize the phone industry. Yeah. So yeah. They, they need to revolutionize it more. Otherwise, um, it's going to be, end up like Nokia, I think. Mm. <laughs> yeah, ho- hopefully they find a new product line. I think, I think they will. Uh, hopefully, right? I mean, the watch was technically their new product line. Um, and their software ecosystem is the reason they're still alive. That's what I truly believe in. The hardware's go around, but you can't use a watch without a phone. You can't pair that to an Android. Mm. You can't use, uh, I think, earpods work really well and really seamless with the MacBook Pro as well as as an iPhone. Did so, Apple, well, was Apple the one that came out with the, the, the sunglasses, the tech glasses thing? Or was no, it that Google? was Facebook. Yeah, Facebook. They released Facebook. Uh, AR, yeah, with, with Ray-Ban. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for, for our listeners, that's where they, uh, we, we did talk about it a couple, of, a couple of weeks back. So go ahead and listen to that. <laughs> <laughs> nice backlink. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Awesome, guys. I think we have news for one more. I think let's talk about Disney. So Disney, uh, we saw a bit of a drop yesterday. Uh, I think it was like a 13% drop in terms of Disney Disney stock price, mm-hmm. mainly after the announcement with regards to the delay in showing its, its movies, right? It's been delayed X number of times and it's sort of decreased. Now, the, the weird thing, I guess, right, for you guys, Joel and Anthony, to think about is that Disney, yes, right, if you saw in the last earnings call, they did make more growth in Disney Plus than they did anywhere else. And, and theaters weren't really there. Now, with Shang-Chi, we did see Disney rise in terms of stock price because Shang-Chi was actually quite, quite bad uh, in terms of people going and viewing and all of that. Yeah. But, and, and hence, you can see why it's dropped because they said they've delayed it. However, if we take a look at Disney's revenue breakdown. Not a lot comes from movies and theatrical distribution. A lot of it comes from parks. A lot of it comes from, from, from television, your net geo, all, all of that. So how do we see that? Do we see that right now as a knee-jerk reaction because of this announcement and it will go back up? Or do we see this as, you know what? This is the way forward and theatrical distribution will attribute a significant percentage in our Q4 report. Yeah, so I I I don't know. I'm I'm I never I didn't really track Disney, but I think that the share price drop is is three percent. So not nothing too drastic, I think. Um, although it's big for for a blue chip. Um, oh, I, I mean personally, I feel this is much ado about nothing, really. Um, yeah, it, yes, it, you know, it delaying or rescheduling certain movies, but it's not as if they're not going to show any theatrical releases next year, right? Um, it, mm. it's, just, it's just a slight delay in, in revenue, um, maybe, um, which is also slightly offset by a, a slight reduction in cost because if you don't produce a movie and you don't release it, you, you don't need advertising, you know, you, you don't need to pay your stars the bonuses, um, maybe they get sued, I don't know, but <laughs> not. Um, you know, you... Nice play. You, <laughs> 
there, there's lots of costs in, in create not only in creating the movie but in, in the post-production and, and the release phase mm. that, that do need to be incurred. So yes, we take away a bit of the revenue by, by deferring but we also take away a bit of the cost. So net net, I, I don't think that that's that big of a difference. Mm. Um, and and if the share price drop is is you know really just due to this sort of behavior, I think it's honestly a bit of an overreaction. Um, it, it's already a small part of it, it was pre-pandemic a small part of the revenue with Disney Plus. It's just going to get even smaller. Um, so there's that's very very little point to it. I think. Yeah, I'm actually uh, with Anthony on this one. So I actually agree oh, yeah, also that, agree. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that uh, this is actually just a knee-jerk or a very short-term movement. I, I personally am a very major big Disney fan and I've, I've always been going to their parks, always buy a lot of Disney merchandise. I grew up with Disney and I think from the time I was born to now, it's only, the brand has only grown stronger. You know, merchandising, uh, everything, the parks, I, I think per year they have been getting very stable. I mean, apart from COVID, their revenues have only been increasing, if I'm not wrong. And, uh, but also due to ticket prices increasing as well. So Disney is very expensive as well. So. But I feel that fundamentally, the business is still very strong. Right? They can survive. I think this theatrical part is just one arm only. But the main core of the business still goes to the parks, the merchandising, and all the other good stuff. So yeah, I think this is a short-term movement. And uh, I'm not into Disney, but I will be very long Disney if I were to get into Disney. Yeah, actually, you guys have Disney Plus. How, how do you find yes. it? Because I, I have it, but I, I really you don't really use it. <laughs> don't really watch anything on Disney anymore. On my side, yeah, I actually watch Disney, um, Disney Plus rather. They have got a few series that I follow. Actually, I do like a lot of Nat Geo. So they they, okay. they talk a bit about Petra. They talk a bit about you know the Greeks, the Romans. Uh, so I do follow that. I believe uh, Black Widow just got released on Disney Plus, yep. so I'm waiting for the new. Uh, you know, I think there's Jungle Cruise that's gonna pop up. Shang Chi is gonna come in through to Disney Plus as well. So I'm waiting for those. I'm a big, I'm a big Marvel fan, and nice. Star Wars as well. So I think those those are things that we watch. I'm not really big into the animated movies, uh, but I do know that they they also make really really good ones like Raya, uh, and together together with a few others, right? Um, but yeah, so that's that's my stance. But once they once Disney consolidated uh, Lucas Arts as well as Marvel, um, I, I became a, a much bigger Disney fan. <laughs> <laughs> so I take it, Joel, you do have Disney Plus then? Uh, yes, I do. Yeah, uh, I mean, you can't ask me. I'm a Disney fan bias, like, so everything I'll say about Disney is always a plus for me. <laughs> and I always think that fundamentally, the, the company is very strong. So yeah. Cool. Uh, well, you know, I think we've come to the end. Uh, we took a little bit longer than usual, but thanks so much for listening, folks. Again, if you have any questions, please go ahead and ask that on the Telegram group. Uh, Facebook is there. Instagram is there. We're happy to answer you. Thanks again so much for listening. Have a good week ahead. And Joel, Anthony, and I will see you next week. Have a good one. Take care, guys. Bye. Bye. All right. See you. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode with me, Rakesh, and trust that you learned something today. If you enjoyed the session and want to be part of the banter, join our community Telegram group or follow us on social media. We also have a weekly newsletter to get a digest of the news we covered. To sign up, please click the description below. As always, we love your feedback, so share that with us at hello at thefinancialcoconut.com. Thanks and stay safe.